Hello, and welcome to the second edition of MedTech Monthly. My name is Reed Miller, and I'm the manager of MedTech Insights commercial and R&D stream. With me today is our UK reporter, Barnaby Pickering. So during 2022, MedTech Insight has covered plenty of news about the diabetes devices sector, which has seen sustained growth in recent years due to an ever-growing population of people with diabetes. So Barnaby, how would you describe what's going on with diabetes tech? I think in short, the best word to describe the market as a whole is frantic. Companies like Abbott, Ipsamed, Dexcom and Medtronic are all vying for market share, racing to produce the best, most accessible devices. And what's more, the market consists of a large number of device types, meaning that viewing the market clearly can be a challenge. As a reporter, it can sometimes be all too easy to get bogged down covering device launches, authorizations, and so on. In fact, I just wrote about Insulet's Omnipod 5 insulin pump getting its full US market launch. So I had a virtual sit down with Dr. Robert Gabe, Chief Scientific and Medical Officer for the American Diabetes Association. The two of us discussed what devices are available for patients, what they mean for their treatments, and also what the future holds, digging deeper into closed loop insulin delivery systems and truly non-invasive glucose measuring techniques. I think I'll start by just saying thank you very much for agreeing to speak to me today, Dr. Gabe. Thanks for doing the story. That's more than okay. Now, you are the Chief Science and Medical Officer for the ADA, I believe. Um, yes. Could you tell us more about what the ADA does, who it supports and who it represents? Well, uh, the American Diabetes Association is a global leader in uh, advocating for people with diabetes, uh, reaching out and supporting research and guiding uh, the best care for people with diabetes and uh, literally spreading the word uh, as a trusted source of information for people with diabetes. Okay, you host a yearly conference. Yes, we do. So one of the things uh, we're really excited is that we bring the scientists, researchers, clinicians, and all sorts of healthcare professionals together once a year at uh, the largest and uh, I think we all agree the most important uh, diabetes meeting in the world. And that's uh, in June. We just had our last one in New Orleans and it was uh, for the first time a hybrid uh, which is sort of the sign of the time. So we we had attendance uh, uh, from some 120 countries and, uh, uh, and, and having a virtual component along with the in-person meeting allowed us to reach uh, many more than we had in the past. Okay, so moving on to diabetes, sort of the core issue, um, is a condition that, as we all know, comes in two forms, type 1, type 2. Um, the population of both is growing, type 1 because of increasing population, and type 2 largely due to obesity. We're constantly told that diabetes is a massive burden on healthcare systems. Why is it such a burdensome condition, and where is treatment going wrong? Well, uh, you know, first, just to give you a sense of the scope of the problem, uh, you know, so here in the U.S., uh, 37 million people with diabetes uh, and that number uh, continues to grow and it's fueled by the 96 million people that have prediabetes, uh, which is over one third of the population. So, and most of those people with prediabetes, 
uh, don't know they have it. Literally 90% don't know they have it. So that, that's the sheer numbers. Um, and then if you look at uh, healthcare costs associated with diabetes, it is one in four healthcare dollars uh, in the U.S. spent is spent on someone with diabetes. So huge uh, financial challenge. Uh, and, and, and then you ask sort of why is all that? Well, um, it, it really relates to the complications of diabetes. Um, and so diabetes is the leading cause of uh, blindness, kidney failure, amputation, significantly increases the risk of heart disease and stroke. And all of those conditions are, uh, you know, quite devastating. And, and the, the interesting part of all this uh, is that um, we know in many ways how to dramatically reduce uh, all of those complications uh, through better care uh, through studies that have shown that if you do certain things, um, you can reduce uh, all of those complications, but uh, we've not been able to get there yet. We're talking on MedTech Insight today. Um, so let's talk devices. Diabetics can access a plethora of devices. For those that may be newer to the space, what are the kind of major devices that are available? Yeah, there, there are a host of devices that really, I think one of the big stories in, in the uh, sort of the world of diabetes has been uh, the advancement of technology. So uh, for a number of years, we've had insulin pumps. And so, you know, uh, just to give you background, all people with type one diabetes require insulin to live. Um, and about a quarter of people with type two diabetes are on insulin. So insulin pumps provide a continuous uh, subcutaneous infusion of insulin that allows one to adjust the rate of delivery hour by hour. So it's really a fine tuned way to uh, deliver insulin. So that's one technology. Um, the other that has really exploded over the last you know, five to 10 years has been continuous glucose monitoring. So these are devices that uh, also measure uh, glucose levels continuously, glucose being the, the blood sugar level that people with diabetes need to regulate uh, to prevent those complications I described earlier. Um, and so these uh, continuous glucose monitors measure glucose continuously and provide uh, uh, real-time information on um, not only what the glucose levels are, but also the pattern. Uh, are they on the way up? Are they on the way down to be able to help an individual uh, change what they do? Uh, eat something if, you know, they're dropping low, uh, you know, think about uh, activity to lower their blood glucose if it's high or taking additional insulin, all of those things. So those, those are the, the two biggies. Um, and, and now uh, they've been connected uh, in a, a, a system whereby the continuous glucose monitoring glucose levels are 
interpreted and fed to the uh, delivery of insulin. And some of that insulin delivery now is automated. So you give insulin, blood glucose levels go down. It senses that it went down. It turns off the amount of glucose, and, uh, the amount of insulin. And it's a self-titrating system that does some of uh, what is needed to control blood glucose, but it's not a it's not a perfect system as we can sort of talk about. Um, so those, those are the two biggies. Um, and, and then, you know, the others are things that sort of, you know, pervade outside of diabetes, you know, ways of measuring activity accelerometers, step counters, you know, all of that are very important for people with diabetes uh, because they affect blood glucose and are also important for their health uh, to self-regulate. Um, and then the, the final thing I'll, I'll mention in the, in the technology world, um, not unique to diabetes are all of the apps that are available. And they really have uh, played an important role in uh, helping people um, um, follow the kinds of behaviors that uh, are helpful to them with nudges, reminders, education, etc. Gave you a lot of information there. You mentioned first sort of, you know, uh, blood glucose measurement devices, CGMs, and Certainly from an outside perspective, as someone who's not, you know, completely, you know, knees deep in the industry, it seems that CGMs are taking a kind of meandering path to improvement. You know, it's a percent every year or half a percent every year in terms of MARD, mean absolute relative difference. Do you think that there's a limit to how good CGMs could, can be? And do you think that kind of manufacturers are going to have to reach a point where they say, yep, that's as good as we can get with a chip. We need to start augmenting our solutions with you know, behavioral health, digital apps, things like that. Um, well, I, I think, yes, in terms of accuracy, there are probably uh, some limits. Uh, I think the, the need now is maybe less about accuracy and more solving a couple of other issues. Uh, one of them is around uh, lag time. So uh, these devices are largely measuring uh, interstitial glucose, glucose levels uh, between cells. And what we're really interested in is blood glucose. And, and so the glucose has to diffuse from the bloodstream to the interstitial space. And that lag time um, uh, can, can be problematic when levels are changing quickly. Uh, when, when blood glucoses are dropping rapidly, for example, uh, or um, after a meal, uh, when they're rising rapidly. So when you think about automating insulin delivery to those values, the lag time becomes an important factor. So I think that's where the, the improvements need to be made. Um, uh, probably less so than than uh, accuracy. The other area for improvement <coughs> uh, is uh, just usability, uh, you know, smaller, cheaper, you know, and I think that's where you see the, uh, uh, the, the innovation happening. 
Do you have any thoughts about non-invasive blood glucose measurement? You mentioned this lag time, and I've spoken to several companies that use an array of techniques from, you know, radio waves, infrared light to the effects of magnetism, you know, Lorentz forces um, to measure blood glucose without needles. Has the ADA seen any of these devices? Do you think it's going to be a reality for patients anytime soon? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure how quickly they will be. This has been something that uh, has been a holy grail for, you know, 20 plus years. That The challenge with those other technologies is the, uh, the need for calibration uh, and, and the need uh, uh, to learn, you know, they're, they're, many of them are dependent on, they vary from individual to individual. So, uh, you know, they have to be calibrated for that person. And those calibrations usually take a considerable amount of time. Uh, I think it was more important to develop those technologies uh, uh, before what we have now. Um, I think people have, you know, it is bothersome to have to put in a sensor, you know, every 10 or 14 days, but most people have adapted to that pretty well. So the non-invasive issue is maybe less of a concern than it had been. Um, so I, I, I know that there are a number of companies and you know, we, we, we track that and I, you know, uh, hopefully that will get there. Now, uh, again, some of them vary in where they are getting their, uh, uh, what they're measuring. So. Those that are measuring blood glucose uh, through non-invasive measures, yeah, that that is providing something needed because we're, one's getting around that lag time. I think that's where solutions that can get around that lag time will be important. Okay, fantastic. Now, the second kind of thing that you mentioned earlier was um, hybrid closed-loop systems. So yes. pairing between pump and CGM. Now, in 2020, I believe the FDA approved the Minimed uh, 770G, um, manufactured by Medtronic, for almost this sort of set and forget diabetes treatment. Or I say almost because yeah, it requires some user input. It's definitely um, not. Yeah, right. And and I think that's an important thing uh, for your listeners. Uh, it it is not a uh, like okay, I'm on autopilot at all. So what what they are, and there've been others approved since. Um, what they are very good at is uh, uh, self titrating the insulin to maintain good blood glucose control overnight. What they are not good at is. Uh, uh, correcting for meals and exercise. Okay. So they all still require an individual to uh, say, here's what I'm eating. Here's how many grams of carbohydrate I'm eating. And I need X number of units for the, per gram of carbohydrate and decide the right dose. And that's because of that lag time, I assume, right? Uh, it's two things. It, yeah, it is. It is lag time of the the CGM, but it's also the lag time of the insulin uh, absorption. So you've got two lag times built in there. Uh, the other thing that uh, uh, you know, again, if you're thinking of these devices mimicking the human body in some ways, you know, which presumably is the is the goal. Uh, 
one one thing that happens uh, 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 in human physiology that that uh, is when you start to eat before you've absorbed the glucose and digested the food, you already release a series of other hormones that prime the pancreas to release insulin in anticipation of that meal being absorbed. So there's already insulin, you know, being secreted before the glucose hits the bloodstream. And those are the incretins, GLP-1 and GIP. There's not, you know, there's nothing similar, uh, you know, uh, obviously for, for these individuals. Um, the, the other uh, piece that, uh, uh, you know, we're not mimicking, although there have been attempts, uh, is that, uh, uh, so blood glucose, I, I said that insulin lowers blood glucose, but there's uh, the, the second hormone, glucagon, that raises blood glucose. And so the, 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 the physiological mechanism is a push-pull, which allows you a much better way of, of titrating than just a push and a turn off, which is what you know, the use of insulin is. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So going back to, you know, the approval of these devices, you've got 770G and then some others after, but the FDA overall doesn't seem overjoyed at the idea of approving these systems. They're often very scrupulous about the data. Why do you think that that is? You know, I think the FDA has been uh, careful about safety as they should. That is their job. Uh, and I think that that has been one of the, the issues. Uh, and I think the other big issue, uh, frankly, has been the pandemic and lack of resources. Uh, so there has been a considerable backlog uh, of applications. And that's an area where the American Diabetes Association has really weighed in. And we've been engaged with the FDA to help uh, sort of uh, uh, brainstorm solutions. And I think what we're seeing now is the backlog is being worked out, uh, worked down. And I think we're seeing a, an increase uh, uh, in the in the pace of reviews, which we're very pleased about. Let's talk about cost briefly. All the tech that we've mentioned today doesn't come cheap. And it's surprising because whenever you look at these devices, they have large amounts of data that prove you know, pretty solidly that if a patient uses these devices, they save money, public payers save money, everyone basically has a better time. However, for so many patients, things like insulin pumps and CGMs are not reimbursed and the out-of-pocket cost is too much. How is the ADA working to help these patients and how... How should governments approach the reimbursement of diabetes devices? Well, I'm glad you brought this up. This is a really important issue for us at the American Diabetes Association. And we uh, have been advocating quite strongly, uh, uh, certainly here in the U.S., uh, with Medicare and other payers to increase access uh, to uh, uh, these important technologies. Uh, and at the same time, we realized payment is part of the problem, but there also are uh, significant health disparities in the U.S. 
uh, in terms of access that are not just payment related. And so engaging with the communities of color uh, through a, a platform uh, that we launched Health Equity Now that has a series of Bill of Rights for people with diabetes. And one of those Bill of Rights is that every person with diabetes should have access to the technology that will help them live healthy. And so we very much believe that and have been working towards that. Uh, I, I, I think that the other element uh, is um, uh, demonstrating cost effectiveness that is, you know, certainly important uh, for uh, 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 for government. You know, if if we think globally, um, to uh, demonstrate the value. Uh, uh, the one other thing I'll say, and and something that uh, the American Diabetes Association is very involved in. So we we uh, develop essentially the. Uh, something called the standards of care, which are in essence the global guidelines for diabetes, and uh, we it's through a rigorous uh, evidence uh, uh, review process, and and that document and the changes that have evolved in that over the last two or three years have certainly helped to uh, provide the ammunition, so to speak, to say, hey, this, these are these are the situations where these devices should be covered because there have been rigorous studies to prove their benefit. Okay, okay. Another sort of cost-related factor, prevention. The current devices seem to be preventing the sort of, you know, end-stage problems with diabetes, you know, the, the amputations, the kidney failures that you were speaking about earlier. Um, do devices have a role to play earlier on in the diabetes pathway? Yeah, I, you know, I, very much I think uh, we believe that they will have a role. Uh, you know, what they are very effective for is that they provide uh, important real-time feedback uh, on behavior. Uh, and one of the things we know that it, a critical part of behavior change um, is really having feedback. And in the same way that... Uh, step counters help people to exercise more. Same kind of thing uh, for uh, uh, CGMs. Uh, what what I, I think will help in that uh, is uh, studies demonstrating uh, that, that concept. Certainly we've seen it, I see it with my patients. Uh, uh, and, uh, but again, to be fair, um, for uh, payers to uh, to cover these costs, um, they need the evidence to demonstrate it. Um, and, and as you probably know, there are uh, uh, some startup companies that have developed really to, f to fit this niche of the, the pre-diabetes uh, uh, arena. And I think that, that's exciting because uh, uh, I think the technology certainly can be valuable. Uh, one of the big questions in that arena is um, are the devices to be worn all the time or might they, might intermittent use be sufficient? Wear it for a while, learn you know, the things to do, not wear it for a while, then wear it again, you know, and, and what's that frequency? Answering those questions, I suspect, will help to have you know, wider spread use because again, it, it reduces the costs. Okay, final question. It's a bit of a, I don't know, not a jokey one, but a less serious one. What are you most excited for 
in the field of diabetes. It could be treatment or research or simply your own practice. Oh, that's that's an awfully tough one because I, I, I'm excited about a lot of things in diabetes. Uh, I, I think in many ways the uh, the future is quite bright. I think we have some incredible tools. Uh, I think what I'm most excited about is those tools being applied to all people with diabetes uh, and the recognition that that has to be the goal uh, and it can't be just for the few, which, you know, for better or worse ha- has been the case. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that application uh, uh, spread more widely. And, and I'm, I'm very excited about the role of technology and digital health in, mm-hmm. in being uh, an important, uh, I, I think of digital health as a, uh, another member of the diabetes team, uh, because we, we always think of diabetes as a team with different types of healthcare professionals needed. And I, I think we now add digital health to that. So true democratization of treatment. Thank you very much for your time today. Great. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, enjoyed our conversation.